Do you have to balance common assessments with your proficiency-focused classroom? Is this a bit of a challenge when those common assessments are not at all focused on proficiency or communication? Today's episode is a leveling up episode where I coach Lisa, who is a French teacher in Michigan. Balancing common district assessments in a proficiency-focused classroom is the area where she wants to level up her teaching practice. So let's start that conversation. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and thank you for being here, being an awesome teacher. Again, listening to a podcast about language teaching, and I would say, who does something like that? And then I remind you, you, you do something like that because you're an awesome teacher. So today is a leveling up episode. That's what I'm calling these, our coaching episodes. And joining me today is Lisa, who is a French teacher in Michigan. And we are going to be talking about looking at the expectations that sometimes happen in our districts when it comes to assessments and then what's actually happening in our classroom and grappling with that a little bit. But welcome on into the podcast, Lisa. It is wonderful to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Can you just give us a little bit of context about where you teach the type of school or district, how long you've been doing this? So I'm about to enter in year 16, um, but I've been in my district going into this will be year six in my current district. Um, I'm in Rochester Community Schools, which is about 40 minutes north of Detroit. Um, So it's a suburban region. Um, We have three high schools. I teach at one of them and I also teach in middle school and I am levels one through AP. So I'm basically the French department for Hart Middle School and Stony Creek High School. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at right now. And I started teaching, I, I discovered um, comprehensible input and proficiency-based teaching a little later into my career. Um, and so now I'm at this point where I just want to keep getting better at it and finding that balance. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities that come up from being in a department where there are multiple teachers of the same language for collaboration and all of that. But also when you are the department sometimes, when it comes to things like bringing on change, you don't really need the approval of all of those colleagues. So I just, I like to find the taking lemons and making lemonade out of it once in a while. And I myself, I'm a French and Spanish teacher. And in my department, I end up usually teaching all the French and then one or two Spanish classes, depending as needed. So when it comes to what happens with the French curriculum in my school, I really kind of just, I have that, it's a luxury, you know, so I just, I know a lot of times French teachers end up being the one or German teachers are the one. And it, again, can be challenging to be in the silo, but, you know, try to find those positive parts to it as well. So with our topic for today, uh, could you tell us what it is that you're seeing that area that you would 
you would like to get past that hurdle a little bit? Okay, so in my district, um, I actually am fortunate that I do get to work really closely with my curriculum coordinator on what the French curriculum looks like, but we are bound by district summative assessments. Um, we had lost assessments for several years um, because we had an attendance incentive wherein if kids had three or fewer absences, they didn't have to take the exams. So we could really, you know, we'd have like three kids taking an exam. We'd also have kids coming to school sick every single day, but that policy has gone away, especially with COVID. So now we've just started incorporating back exams. Last year was our first year doing exams in probably five years. And this year will be the first year that we are having district common assessments. So every French teacher that teaches French one will be giving the same assessment, same with level two up through AP. Um, We have a few different issues wherein myself and one other teacher Um, teach a split level four and AP class, whereas one teacher has a separate level four and AP. So we have to figure out how we're going to even assess that because we can't teach two curriculums at the same time. We usually do a year A and a year B. And just there's some teachers that are still very much, I need to follow the textbook and do every single textbook thing, whereas I have not had a textbook in my classroom for years. So I'm trying to find how I can help encourage my colleagues to teach in a more proficiency-based, stepping away from the textbook while still having this common summative assessment that we need to get to. And last year, I felt our curriculum was so muddled that I couldn't really teach for proficiency. I felt like I was covering versus helping the kids acquire. It felt like I was checking boxes to rush to get to the end game. And i I fear that this year, last year, we didn't have a district common assessment this year, we will. So that's where my fear is. How can I make sure that I'm giving the kids the best possible proficiency based instruction, while still being able to meet that data goal that our district is looking for? So when we say common assessment, we're referring to end of semester, end of year rather than end of unit. Correct. So we'll have a midterm exam and an end of year exam, final exam. Um, So we have a rough curriculum outline right now. We're still kind of fixing it because we discovered that there were like eight units in French two, and that is by no means best practices. So we're trying to figure out how to shift and then fill gaps. Like if we taught this in level one, how are we going to get into level two without repeating it? And we're, we're still filling in some of these gaps and we'll have some department meetings this week. Um, the good news is we will be doing um, IPA style exams. So again, that's still leaning into the proficiency based assessment. But again, it's making sure that I'm not rushing. Like I don't want to just cover material. I want to make sure that my students are acquiring and you know working towards that goal. Okay, so now let's look at that idea of feeling like you're rushing and what does that day-to-day look like? So can you think of an example within your day, your week, or somewhere in a lesson where you feel like this is not going to align with that assessment at the end, what we're doing right now? Or maybe I need to be doing more of fill in the blank so that they are prepared for that assessment. What does that struggle look like for you? So I'm thinking of our house unit and within this house unit, again, I'm working within the construction of what our curriculum is supposed to be. It's learning the rooms of the house, learning furnishings in each room, 
describing the furnishings in each room, the chores that we do in each room. And then somebody wanted to add in the pronominals and doing my daily routine. And it just seems to me like so much. And I'm trying to like, okay, how can I get through all of this? How can I check all of these boxes? There's just so much. So I'm trying to come up with more natural ways to do this. I've done a lot of authentic resources, you know, like let's look at Monet's house and like describe what we see in his house or let's look at, you know, this teen um, magazine online that has like style tips for rooms. So we're looking at like authentic materials, but it still feels like I'm rushing and I'm just checking boxes. And at the end of the day, like, can the kids pass that particular summative? Sure. But will they remember it this year when we come back? Like, and I think that's where I want to make sure that I'm coming up with strategies that can get me to the end game. Like, okay, at the end of the year or at the end of the semester, we need to be able to talk about a bedroom or talk about um, a house and the chores you do in the house. How can I craft that unit in a manner that is not overwhelming to the students so they don't see a list of 7,000 vocab words and that they come out at the end having being able to maintain that knowledge that they're not learning it for the exam and then forgetting it right because we know that that is kind of the flaw in how I know I was taught back in the day you know let's go through each chapter get your bell curve on the exam and then you're done rather than coming back to it over and over again yeah So what I'm hearing in there is this idea of making sure that you check the boxes of what they need to know for this assessment, because that's sort of the looming hanging over your head, the assessment. And then because of that, when there's the what I'll call the more interesting stuff, culture and all of these resources and what students want to know, you're having a struggle of how can you do that as sort of a both and? And that's where the the rushing sort of comes in, that you're covering everything, but you still want it to be a good experience for students. Yes, that's kind okay. of where I'm at. Okay. And so when you find yourself in that situation um, where they want to add in something like talking about their daily routine, which isn't going to be on the summative assessment. So we need to move on to what's going to be there. When you find yourself in that situation of student desire to learn, which we never want to say no to, right? And then there's this exam that we need to be prepared for. What happens in that moment? How have you dealt with that? Usually I try and, and go with it. I try and give like, yes, this is exactly what you want. And, and I do often say like, you're never going to get a vocab test from me. I'm, you're never going to get a match this to this. So there is a lot of student driven vocabulary that comes up. My fear is that if we spend too much time on the student driven stuff, when do we get to the stuff that I know is going to be on the summative? I think that's kind of where I get that little like crisis. Like I love when they're enthusiastic, like absolutely. Let's talk about, you know, let's double check that we know how to say plaid, like equacy and, you know, looking at those things that they come up with. Like I have a gaming chair. How would we say gaming chair? Like, you know, and looking up these things and modeling proper looking up of things because we want to make sure that our kids know that we don't know all the words in the language. We know what's in our lexicon. And I really want to run with that. But then I said, then I fear that we'll spend too much time on the student driven and not get to the the required, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so would you name that as one of the underlying reasons for the the struggle with this balance is 
what students are interested in is not what they should be responsible for for the assessment? I think it gets to that because every group of students that you sit in front of is going to be different and every group of students going to have a different desire. So we're trying to have the square peg round hole situation where we have to have this assessment that has to work for everybody in the entire district, but that's not necessarily going to reflect exactly what I have in front of me at the time. So I think if we put on our rose-colored glasses for a second and we look towards the future where this is no longer a feeling that you're having in your classroom, where you have to make a choice between what you feel is best for students and what they want to learn or teaching towards this test. You're not having that situation in your classroom. You're having a more balanced look. So what would that look like? How would you know? Like, what's that? I call it your indicator of success. So I like to move out of the realm of, oh, I hope, or this is a problem. Mm -hmm. But if we get past that, like, what does that look like in your classroom to no longer have this as an obstacle? I would say working towards advocating on paring down those requirements that are going to be on the summative so that we can spend more time in that student-driven land, like maybe working with my team to have, you know, we don't need this list of 70 rooms in a house and furnishings and chores, but maybe we want to really hit home on like five rooms, five furnishings and five chores, you know, what maybe one furnishing and one chore for each room is what's going to show up on the summative. And then we can make sure that I hit those, but then still spend time in fun student-driven land. So what I'm hearing there as a goal, because I think the goal is always that indicator of success on the end, is advocating for those summatives. And as part of that, it's the difference of what happens in our classrooms where we can go a mile and an inch deep, or we can go an inch and a mile deep. And it seems what I'm hearing is you're advocating for going a shorter distance, but go deeper with it rather than covering all of that material. Yes. Okay. So that's that's, that's what I'd like. So let's make that sort of, that's going to be our goal. Okay. Okay. We want to get to that place where that can happen, because if that's what the summative assessment does, then that allows you in your classroom to not feel like you're on the hamster wheel of content, right? That you can stay with content and have students work in all the modes with it rather Mm -hmm. than individual, right? Now let's start looking at some suggestions and ways of of getting there. Mm -hmm. And this is always an interesting situation, I will call it is when we're looking at things like assessment and looking at things like change Mm -hmm. and having those colleagues or even supervisors, administrators who are not totally on the change wheel yet and you're trying to deal with that, sometimes it has to be during this transition time a both and, right? Mm -hmm. That's the easy answer, Right. right? So the you could just teach towards the test and make sure that that's just what gets done. And then you don't feel fulfilled as a teacher, or you could just do everything that you know students should be doing in the classroom and responding to them. But then they take an assessment 
and don't do well on it. And then we feel like that reflects on us, right? Is that sort right. of a, a legitimate way of looking at yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's that's the rub, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that going too far to the extreme of either one of those is going to leave somebody unhappy, either mm-hmm. you as a teacher or an administrator looking at what's happening in your classroom, right? So I think we we do have to have that both and. Right. And so that means developing units and assessments. So what would this look like in your classroom where you have a unit and you look at the assessment at the end? You say, okay, they need to know this vocabulary and these grammar structures. I'm assuming that's what it looks like, right? Okay. Yep. So, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty much Mm -hmm. guessing that, you know, common assessments in a district, that's kind of what they look like, right? And so by looking at those and then putting that within your unit, and you may be doing this already, right? Mm -hmm. That you make sure they're in your unit. Here's where the both and comes in, that there's going to be, maybe it's the beginning of the unit where you focus on the details and the stuff that isn't so proficiency-based. And you spend a day or two on that. And then you spend four, five, six days using that within all the modes. Mm -hmm. And you can look at a lot of advocates for proficiency-based teaching and saying that the vocabulary lists and the grammar points and all that are not going to be helpful. And you can totally agree with that. I mean, there's differing opinions on it. But here's the reality. Your students need to take an assessment that has those on there, right? So it is about spending the time on it. But then not the slippery slope, the, that's what it becomes completely, right? That we need to find ways to then incorporate it. Or also kind of like, what would this look like that you use the last two days of a unit after you've done lots of comprehensible input and using all of those structures and all that vocabulary in there, And then you have students reflect back on the whole unit. And that's where you do the focus on the grammar and the vocabulary that you know they'll need for the assessment, right? At the end. And have them articulate it, knowing full well that that's just to prepare them for the exam. Because Mm -hmm. uh, John Bracey, he's a Latin teacher in Massachusetts. And whenever I see him present on anything and talk about departments, it's like, what should I do, John? How can I be the the best CI proficiency-based teacher ever? And he goes, well, the first thing is to not get fired. He always says that first. First, don't get fired. Because if you get fired, nobody's doing this work. So you have to find that way of playing the game for a little mm-hmm. bit, right? And so in talking through it, looking at sort of do your unit, but then at the end, use everything that was in there. I know originally I said do it at the beginning, but as I think through it, I think do your unit. And then at the end, take a day or two to have students pull out what they learned and put it in a way that they'll need it for the assessment at the end. So yeah. how, do, how does that sound? I, I kind of like that idea. I could see it where I could almost like split the unit in half and have like the student driven section, you know, what's in your room? What do you have in your room? What chores do your parents make you do in your room? And like, okay, what's in your house? Do you have a house? Do you have an apartment? Do you have, um, you know, 
what, where do you live? What, what do you call home? And then kind of towards the end, they're like, that's when I can say like, okay, we student drove all of these vocab words that were already on our list, but the students wanted to know them. So we already hit them. What am I missing that I know is in our summative? Okay, I know that the summative for the room is going to be looking at these home advertisements. So let me find some home advertisements that have those keywords that we're missing and kind of plug that in almost as like a secondary portion of mm -hmm. the unit. I like that. I'm loving that, that idea of you you do your unit and then look at the end what's on this, what's on the summative, you're probably going to see that most of it's there by that point. Mm -hmm. And those couple other things they're going to need to know, then do it there. But by doing it that way, you focused on what was best for students first. And mm -hmm. then what was unfortunately necessary for students as right. the, the secondary piece. So if we look at an action plan for you going forward, mm -hmm. I think that's a I like to look at sort of this week, and then ongoing. Right. Because if you could do something this week, it feels achievable and that's going to keep you moving towards your goal. Right. I think for this week, look at a unit that you've done in the past that you're going to maybe even do this fall. It could be the first one. It could be the second mm -hmm. one. Do with it exactly what you just said. Line it up with the assessment at the end and say, this is how long we're going to spend on it. And this is likely going to be what we don't get to. Now, I think the trick in that is to try not to incorporate everything you don't think will be in there just to say that you did it, because right. then it, it makes the unit a little less authentic. Yes, yes right? it does. So yeah. just to try that. And then ongoing, this is about, you know, continue doing doing that with each unit. But then it ultimately becomes what that assessment is at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Because if that stays as is, then it's a lot of trying to make it work, right? But I think mm -hmm. that continuing to advocate and initiate discussions, the people who are writing these assessments and the more voices on those committees of writing those assessments, the more of those voices have a proficiency mindset the more they're going to be proficiency based. Are you a part of writing those or is there a, a mechanism for you to be a part of that? I am a part of it, yes. So I is that I'm very fortunate that my curriculum coordinator is also a French teacher. So she works really closely with me and we are both on the right mindset. It's mm -hmm. again, it's trying to make sure it, it's really, there's a, other languages that are not as ready for proficiency based, just mm -hmm. older teachers, you know, mm -hmm. this is how I've done it. I think that I can really work with her and she'll understand and she's on the right page. So I, I think I can have a lot more say, but it's about what the district mm -hmm. beyond is going to look for. Like, well, that's yeah. not how I learned languages. Like, mm -hmm. well, that's not where the science is today. Yeah. And making sure that the the main decision makers that are beyond our department um, can recognize that this data that we're accruing from these new proficiency-based assessments are the right. So just continuing to advocate that way. In terms of these conversations with the stakeholders and the other language language teachers, this was something that I heard from Maris Hawkins when I was interviewing her last year on the podcast about uh, her book with Florencia Henshaw, Common Ground. And it was this question about how do you entice other people in your department who are not proficiency-based to get on board with this. And her advice to it was think about it like you're you're running a marathon. 
And there are some people that are running the marathon with you. Like that's your your colleague that you were just referencing. Like she's running the marathon with you, right? You're both there. Then you have some people who are walking along because they're not ready to run, but they're not standing still. And then you have people standing on the sideline who aren't moving at all. And the hardest people to get running in a marathon are the ones who have never trained and they're standing on the side. The ones who are walking alongside are interested enough to not just be sitting there. Mm -hmm. So it's this question of starting with those people within your district and your department. They're not totally there yet, but they're interested enough that you can bring them into the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's where to start. The complete naysayers, heel diggers are not the place to start. That's where it gets frustrating. But the more you get, they're running along with you and you get the walkers running along with you, then that starts to build the momentum. You know, and Mm -hmm. I know it's a whole metaphor and analogy (laughs) that way, but that's the way uh, I really came to understand that, you know, even particularly working Mm -hmm. within my school and my department is if you can get the the walkers who are interested to be a part of the race, then that's an easier in to getting everyone with mm-hmm. you. You're going to start advocating to to with those walkers, right? Yes. And you're going to look at your assessments and mm-hmm. uh, make sure that you know, you're teaching the way you know you should be teaching. And then what are you going to do that last day or two of a unit? I'm going to just kind of review what the summatives are looking for and compare that to what we've already hit through student-driven goals and student-driven structures. Mm -hmm. If you didn't cover it, hey, that leaves you a day or two to do it to make sure they're ready for that assessment. And that's a happy medium of that both and. I think so. All right. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today and being open and willing to talk about your teaching. We are all so much better for it because if if you're one teacher thinking about this, there are other teachers thinking about it and your willingness to talk about it is helping them a great deal. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. What insights or inspiration did you take away from that coaching session? If you want to dive deeper into your own teaching practice, consider joining me for a leveling up episode. Just click the link in the show notes and we can set it up. You'll also see a link while you're there for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the World Language Classroom podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so that you never miss an episode. Let's keep the conversation going on social media. Connect with me on X, aka Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at WL Classroom. And for even more valuable resources, visit my website, wlclassroom.com, where you'll find over 300 blog posts about language teaching. So stay inspired, keep growing, and continue making a difference in your language classroom.